To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today we have a different episode. Today is a live Q&A with uh, some of the audience members at the Western Hunting Summit. Um, so this makes for a great podcast. And I've got another one of these in the works. So I uh, hope you guys like it. Uh, we get on uh, Ryan Lampers, Mark Livesay, and Hillary Lampers, three people I really respect. And we do a panel question and answer and go through these questions that these, uh, these hunters have and try to answer them to the best of our ability. So I thought this was a good chance to share it with you guys, my audience, and um, uh, man, I think there's some great content in here. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank a couple of our sponsors here before I get rolling. So I want to thank Cutter Stabilizers. Uh, Earl Stroll is a friend of mine. Uh, he came up with Cutter Stabilizers. He's worked really hard to put this together. And um, man, he's just worked really hard on his products. Um, he, he runs a carbon fiber bar. He sells a 8, 10, 12, and 15. Uh, I'm using the 15 out front, a 12-inch back, and the sidebar. He's coming out with a new bracket that should hit the market here shortly that's going to be a sidebar bracket with all the adjustability and uh, same same rock-solid connections as those stabilizers. Um, it's just so nice. It, it really affects the hold of the bow and also the reaction of the bow, and, and it's a, a big key to to, to how I shoot so accurately is being able to get that hold. Uh, currently, I'm shooting six ounces out front, 10 ounces out back. So it's a touch heavier than most guys. But uh, I know every successful hunt comes down to making a shot. And if I can make that bow hold a little bit better, I'm going to do it. And uh, Cutter does that for me. Um, it's just great product. Uh, he's a, a, a great person. He's a, a diehard bow hunter. You've probably heard him on the podcast and I love giving him my support. So uh, if you're in the market for some new stabilizers, make sure to check out Cutter. Oh, also these, these Cutter stabilizers too. Uh, they're such a small diameter. Uh, so I really think they cut the wind better than other stabilizers out there. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have as much uh, uh, wind drag on it or uh, wind drift from a sideways wind. So I think that's super important, too. So just a great product. I've been using them the last handful of years. Really like them. Uh, so if you're in the market, check them out. Cutter Stabilizer. I also want to thank Savage Rifles. Savage builds some accurate rifles. Uh, I was able to build up a 6.5 Creedmoor this year, uh, put a six-hour scope on it, and I'm amazed at the groups I'm getting with this thing. And, and the groups I'm getting with factory ammo, uh, it's just amazing. They build the best out-of-the-box accuracy for their rifles, uh, and I'm just so impressed. They have a bunch of different models, and so uh, you can find models that are uh, more affordable or like their uh, new rifle this year is the 110 Ultralight. It's just a great mountain rifle. It comes in and weighs under six pounds. Uh, it's got an adjustable stock, so you can adjust the length of pole, you can adjust the comb height, and get that rifle to fit you perfectly, which is a huge part of accuracy. Um, you know, we're all built different. We're all individuals, and so to get that rifle to fit perfectly uh, to your length and to your height so you've got a comfortable eye relief in the scope is just amazing. Uh, they come, they're a carbon fiber-wrapped uh, stainless steel barrel. Uh, they've got a uh, synthetic stock on them. 
So they're going to hold up throughout all weather conditions and, and just super accurate. So if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to check out Savage Arms. This month over at Eastman's, we're giving away a Quiet Cat electric bike. Um, so we're giving that away to TagHub members. TagHub is our internet research tool, so it's where we compile all our data. You can look through to learn these different states and different tag options that, that are offered by these states. And it's really helped me learn these, um, you know, these tags and, and this Western draw system. And so it's a great resource. Uh, so make sure to check that out. Uh, we also have a promo code, Elevated321. That'll get you a $50 subscription to both the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. In both of those magazines, we've got subscriber stories, uh, pro staff articles. I've got two coming up in this month that should be showing up in the mailbox. Uh, and then we also have the MRS, which is a members research section that where we compile that same data that's on TagHub. Um, and, and we release it to you uh, before the draws in each given state in these western states. So uh, it's a great resource. Make sure to check that out. Again, the promo code is ELEVATED321. And with that, um, man, been busy here. Um, getting done with work and getting done with everything I got to uh, take care of here. Get this podcast out to you guys. And then um, I'm out to Hawaii for a handful of days. So super excited to go hang out with my buddies out there and uh, do some bow hunting for Axis, and and um, it'll be a great warm up for season, and and just a a great adventure hunt. Like I, I just love heading out there, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, just been um, just been busy taking care of things and getting things done. Um, we're wrapping up a a house right now, and got a couple others going. So making sure Barney Construction's running good, and just trying to take care of everything here um, prior to hunting season. So I can cut these legs loose and get to the mountains and go chase some critters around. So um, getting super excited. Um, I got a couple good tags. I'm really looking forward to a couple early season mule deer tags. Um, so super pumped about those and, um, just, just doing all that, that necessary training and, um, mind work and, um, breathing and shooting and, you know, everything that goes into, to being a consistently successful hunter. So putting in the work so, uh, I can reap the, the rewards this hunting season. So super excited here. And, uh, it all starts right now with a, with a great Hawaii trip with good friends. So, um, excited to go on that. So I'm going to get this out to you guys. Hop on a plane and um, hopefully record a couple podcasts while I'm out there. Uh, this is a great podcast. I think you guys will really enjoy it. So it's a question and answer at the Western Hunting Summit. I uh, just really like, um, uh, really like and respect Ryan Lampers, Mark Livesay, and then Hillary Lampers. And then we do this panel discussion uh, with these guys and answer some of their questions. So um, hopefully you guys get some useful information out of it and enjoy this um this new style of podcast and um, I really enjoyed it and uh, we'll get right into it. So Eastman's Elevated, I'm your host Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, we're live here. We've got the the Western Hunting Summit. So Ryan and Hillary Lampers have put on this Western Hunting Summit, which has just been awesome. And so we thought we'd sit down and we'd do a live question and answer, uh, live Eastman's Elevated. So uh, we've got me, your host, Brian Barney. Hillary Lampers is going to be asking the questions, also answering any health-related questions. Uh, we got Ryan Lampers, and then we got Mark Livesay, the e-scouting wizard. Um, so we've got a bowl full of questions. We've got an audience, and uh, we're just going to get rolling. 
Okay, so I'm gonna, I got a bunch of questions in here, but there's a second group. So if I ask a question and none of you, and you, you actually ask this question, maybe just give me a little hand so I know, because we don't need to be like answering questions double mm -hmm. if it's from the other group. Okay. And feel free to ask live questions yeah. too. Like this is gonna spark our thought process. And so it's gonna spark more questions. So just raise your hand. If you have another question that relates to it, uh, we'll repeat the question and then answer it from there. Okay. Here we go. It's good okay. handwriting on that one. Wow, it's a book too. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's already raised his hand. He knows the book he wrote. Okay, um, if you were able to have 25 days straight to hunt elk in September, what would be the best way to break up your hunt? These are all new zones to you. Would you elect to do several three to five day hunts in different areas? or pack in 10 to 20 days in one spot? Man, that, that's really gonna differ, I think, I think our answers <laughs> on that. Um, 25 days, that is a reality for me nowadays, which is nice. Uh, I used to be such a weekend warrior, so now I get quite a few days to hunt through late September and early October. I like to break it up. I, I'm like my most efficient on, on five, six day goes on these elk, and it's tough for me to pack into a spot for 10 days and expect to be in elk the whole time. Elk are so nomadic and they move so much that, that, that I can't just be in one location. So even if I'm planning this huge 10 day hunt, I'm gonna have to be mobile. Uh, but I would say my answer, what works best for me is I like uh, five to seven day trips and then I like coming back and I like having a couple days off. I'll spend with the family. I'll do laundry, get my gear, get my food ready again. And then I'll take off again to another area. And as far as switching areas, uh, the key to killing elk is being into elk. So if I can be into elk consistently, I know I'm going to kill a bull. So if that first trip, that first five to seven day trip, I'm into elk, I'm probably going to go back into that location. Now, uh, a lot of times I'm hunting two different states. So, you know, it, it's, um, uh, I am going to a new location for half the hunt, but if I can stay into elk or I was into elk for those first five to seven days, I'm probably shooting back to that spot. If I've run them all out of there, which I usually do in five to seven days, then I'm probably going to look for a new location or look to expand my area. Uh, so that kind of be my answer for it. What, what would you do Ryan with 25 days during elk season? 25 days, man, that's a lot of time. Um, uh, kind of varies. I think, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm hunting Montana, for example, I like 10 day trips. I like 10 day trips on everything from bear hunting to deer hunting to elk hunting. I just feel like that's going to give me ample time to deal with. Maybe I have to change locations from some folks. Maybe I have to change locations from maybe not finding animals, maybe, you know, maybe it's weather, you know, I'm, I'm holed up in the tent for a couple of days. Uh, I really do prefer those extended trips um, versus coming out and going back in, coming out, going. I'd probably break that up into two trips. And if it was Montana, I would, I would probably hunt the last 10 days of September, take a couple of days off and go right back in into October. I just love that time frame in October here. Uh, I feel like, you know, how you and I like to hunt, Brian, is we don't do a ton of calling. Uh, I used to call when I was hunting places like Washington State, North Idaho. But over here, it seems, seems like you can find elk in areas where you don't have to make a peep. You can go in, get your stock in, get multiple stocks. And so um, I'm going to treat it as an October hunt because that time frame has been one of my favorites. And I've found a ton of success in this state anyway because they give us the ability to, 
to spend that time in October. Um, now, yeah, it can be difficult. There can be a lot of eyeballs and, and whatnot because uh, those herds get pretty big. They seem to come down a little bit uh, off the hill, but they talk a lot. I've just found that some days it's talking, you know, from the beginning to end in that first week of October. Um, but yeah, my preferred would definitely be to break that up into two trips. Um, even a 12 day and a 13 day trip would be, would be perfect for me. Uh, I just, I just like the feel of going in there. I'm not rushed in any way. I've got time to figure it out, sit back, uh, do a lot of glassing, figure it out, maybe which animal there's a place, um, in Montana, for example, usually see a lot of bulls in October when I'm out there. And, uh, you know, figure out which bull is for you. Uh, maybe you see five, six bulls in one day. They're not. Go look at another area. Um, you can cover a crud ton of miles, you know, if you have 10 days and that kind of time. So that's going to be definitely for me my go-to is a is couple, couple trips broken up. It is, yeah. But I've gotten used to it, like. You know, we were t just talking about gear a minute ago, and that's why I run that big pack, that big 7,900 cubic inch pack. Um, I'm, we've just got accustomed to taking 20 pounds of food on that 10 to 12 day trip, and um, and it's just kind of the norm now. You know, it didn't. I didn't used to take these long trips back in the day. They've they've kind of built up to this point where, you know, even going in with 60 pounds on your back, 65 pounds. Um, just be prepared to do it and uh i think that's where we're at right now that's a great tip too for like off-season hunting you heard him mention that uh, those october dates in montana uh you know with more and more hunting pressure everybody takes their vacation the third week of september everybody leaves in october everybody's done elk hunting and they're getting ready for rifle elk season and you have the woods to yourself and, and these cows, they go in a second cycle estrus. So if they don't get bred the first time through estrus, they come into it again in October. And so I've actually seen better or harder rutting in October, no people in the woods, and you have it to yourself. And that goes for hunting early, too, before uh, these bulls get their harems of cows. So that's a great tip. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, how would you handle it? You get a, You had five elk tags last year. You, well, you, you, guys, you had more than 25 days. You guys are doing it the hard way. Number one, you're carrying 65-pound packs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in front, all honesty, Manly. so Manly. I'm uh, – I'm lucky to, like Brian said, I'm blessed, and I realize how blessed I am now that I get to hunt extended periods of times. But one thing that they didn't talk about, I think, because um, they're just used to it, the mental gymnastics that you're going to have to go through for 28 or 25 days, don't underestimate what that's going to do. You're going to be losing your mind. I mean, me and my llamas are, like, carrying out conversations. I mean, I'm like, oh, so you think we should go up there today? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jay, what do you think? <laughs> and... I mean, it gets kind of weird. That's a lot of days. Okay, so I do agree with Ryan, like, coming out for those break days, you'll be better hunters taking a few days off in those 25 than trying to muscle through them, in my opinion. Number two is if I'm doing extended hunts like that, guys, I will take mornings off. Or I'll just glass. I know I'm not going to do anything serious unless I see something. But I will not try to go morning, night for that many days in a row. It just, especially in Montana, the sun is shining from 4 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. You go morning to night for that many days, it's going to be incredibly fatiguing. But, you know, I have done, I think, 25, 26 days in a row. It's about the longest I've ever tried myself without coming out. 
Um, but you guys know I am when I talk about hunt plans. So in that particular situation, I'm not going in with no plans to stay in one spot for that many days. No way, no how. Um, I'm more like Brian. I'll go. If the elk aren't there, I'm not going to will them there. I'm not going to wish them there. And I'm certainly not going to wait for them to come there. Um, I may even come back to that spot. If it looks like there's ancient rut activity, like I'm seeing rubs that are multi-stage ages and I'm not seeing elk, I may come back, but I'll ban in that spot. So to do that many days in a row, I'll plan out probably, now that I'm thinking about what you, when you ask, five to seven hunt areas, core hunt areas, I'll have worked out, downloaded, so I can come out, go in without any breaks, no going to town, no downloading, no none of that. But as far as food, I'll go on, a, on that kind of hunt. I'll pack 10 days of what I call my normal meals like i'll take things that are a little more perishable for the first 10 days some salami some meats things like that and i'll always have six or seven additional days that that i can get by with that are more long-term storage throw them on the llamas i have no problems carrying 20 days 25 days of food with my llamas going solo so yeah i can attest to that i found mark's bucket of (laughs) what was those dried dehydrated potatoes (laughs) like he had burned through all his food i was like no mark you got to bucket in your llama pannier that's just full of what is it thank, idahoan yeah thank goodness spuds. i got in my emergency yeah. stash and i made it <laughs> so he wasn't yeah. he wasn't going hungry well, they weren't, so they had him and brian had more food i mean they carry a lot of food i mean i guess that since the llama showed up they even added more food and they wouldn't share nothing i mean they gave me nothing no scraps no Talking nothing about i picked you wild onions <laughs> <laughs> so yeah well this um it's so good because it sparks so many good conversations so mark brings up a good point the mental gymnastics you're going to have to do for 25 days you're going to break and pick yourself up multiple times like that's a long time to be all in on a hunt 10 12 days i mean it's max i mean ryan just told a story about a guy that broke after day four and he was into bucks every single day making two to three stocks like it's mentally taxing um, so you have to be prepared for that. And definitely in 25 days, you want to have a couple days that you're figured days off where you're not hunting, where you're resting, recouping, doing your laundry, redoing your food, because uh, it, that's going to be a long grind and it's going to be tough to keep in it mentally. And, and I noticed too, as it starts getting towards the end of the hunt, you know, I'm, I'm able to continue and push and continue to, to hunt hard, but it's through years of work. Like a lot of times I'd be less effective late in the hunt, more effective in the beginning, but that's that's a great point the hunt plans all that stuff mark that's gold yep Yeah, effective days that you can hunt. How do you find your limitations? I I think you just push your boundaries constantly. I think when you start out, you're doing day hikes and uh, you're being at the right places at the right times, morning and evening, and you're hunting really hard during those days. Then you start stretching it out and you're going to do an overnight trip or you're going to do a weekend trip. Once you can get that done, you're going to plan for a week, a five day, and you just keep working your way up and and you're going to push past your limitations. You're going to find your limits. uh, but I, th- I think it's just keep working your way up. Don't you guys? You know, I got something to add to that. So Good. Um, I know it's going to be hard to believe, but I actually used to do some triathlons back in the day. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the groundbreaking things that happened when I started doing Ironmans was I always used to think of it as swim, bike, run. 
in hunting, you think of it as proficiency, planning, execution, you know, those kind. You've defined the parameters. But triathlon is really just like hunting to me. I approach it the same way. You got to get in shape. You got to develop the expertise. You got to have that logistics worked out. You got to know your capabilities physically, what you can do physically. But what I overlooked and I struggled with for the first several races was it's really five events. It's really five things. It's swimming, biking, running, but it's nutrition and it's mental. If you can't get the last two, you can't do the first three. So hunting, I think of it the same way. You know, yourself mentally, be, getting yourself, think, just thinking about it, visualization. I know it sounds weird, but visualizing yourself multiple days in, knowing you can handle it, talking yourself through it, you know, breaking it down, and don't neglect your, your nutrition. There ain't nothing that will break you quicker than bonking, getting dehydrated, starting to become sick, and starting to not feel well, getting too much sun, getting sunburned, and just draining yourself. So mentally, just being positive. Like, Brian, man, one of the reasons he can do it is the dude just, he's ready to go to the next ridge. He blows it, elk catches him, whatever. He, that's in the past. A lot of people get hung up. Oh, that's my only chance. I'm not going to get another chance. And, and so I, I think that don't overlook the mental, you know, caretaking. There's no way you can plan maybe for that. But just be cognizant of it. Be positive about it. Take care of yourself mentally. But also take care of yourself physically. And test your food. So in the races, I had these bright ideas to try all these food sources, and I never had trained with them before. You know, if you don't eat pack of runes every, every once in a while, and all of a sudden you load your pack with a bunch of pack of runes, it may not work for you with your stomach and things like that. So, again, the, the food and the mental, can, it can break you down really quick. Even though you're ready to shoot your bow, even though you got your calling down, even though there's elk everywhere, there's things that can break you down that are far beyond, beyond that scope. Yeah, I agree. I think the mental is the biggest thing. Um, I know back in the day in my 20s, I wasn't going to be able to deal with 10 days, you know, especially alone on the mountain hunting, trying to stay positive. It's a slow buildup. Um, I still I've got hunt partners. They still can't do that if they wanted to. Now, they they think they can in the off season. It sounds awesome. Like I'm going to go in there. I'm going to spend two weeks and it's, it's going to be great. Problem is. People don't remind themselves to stay positive. Barney, I don't know if he ever gets bummed out about anything. He's always on to the next thing. But for me, I have to remind myself, like, there's really nothing else I'd rather be doing right now than this. And I'm really going to be pissed off at myself if I back out of here. Um, I'm going to let myself down. So that's, that's just a big part of it, always reminding yourself that, um, you know, also Mark preaches, have another hunt plan. Have something else so you're not just bummed out like – your spot just blew up. You blew your one area. Have something else to go to. That'll keep you positive. Um, instead of sitting there at the tent like he talks about, looking at your phone saying, man, I got nothing. I got nothing here. That is depressing. That'll get you home quick. Yeah, it will. Yeah. There's going to sure. be highs and lows on the hunt. And, and you're going to have to endure these lows. You know, you're going to get down about things and you got to pick yourself up like Ryan's saying, or you got to uh, look towards the next hunt plan and you never feel as lost as you do. As Mark describes being in the tent and not having a plan of where you're going to go. You just feel lost because you're down from the hunt or down from not being on animals, but having that hunt plan and another place to go check out and go, it, it just gives you a direction. So, so you got to be ready to ride out these lows and these lows can be a, a rainstorm storm like we're having now lightning storm maybe you missed a hunt you're not into animals uh running into pressure there's so many uh uh things that you're going to have to endure on a hunt 
Um, so, so yeah, you just try to ready yourself the best you can and ride it out and know that it's going to change. That low won't stick. It's like on a long run, you hit highs and lows. And in those lows, you know if you keep running through it, you're going to get through it and it's going to change. You're going to get back to a high. Same thing on a hunt. Just the last thing I'll say is, you know, take your mind back to the 300 days you were thinking about this hunt. Mm-hmm. Say, man, I pined for this yeah. all year and now I'm going to go home. Or now I'm going to pull the plug. You can talk yourself. I, I mean, I know I keep saying this triathlon, but I, it, it's so it's so physically demanding. But it's not that hard. It's just long. So it's convincing yourself that I, I can do this. I got it. I got it. I've worked all year for this. I'm not pulling the plug now. I, just because I'm feeling a little sick, or I'm not whatever. Take a day off. Like I mean, don't underestimate. When I say a day, I mean hang around camp, relax, maybe glass a little, maybe nothing, maybe read a book. I mean, it really helps to get yourself re-back into it. Yep, good answers, guys. <clears throat> Nobody right. wants to get healthy, Hillary, so far. No, not yet. <laughs> um, top three pieces of gear not to skimp on. Gosh, top three mm, pieces three. of gear. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty much all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, boy, I mean, um, you know, really trying out your gear in, like, the scouting season is really important to me. I'll run um, trips in the scouting season where I run out and I do these three-day bonsai trips. And it gives me confidence in the mountains, but it also gives me a chance to, to test out my gear and test out my equipment that I'm going to use. So if I had to pick three items – Man, I think it's all of them. All of them are so important. The the pack, your shelter, uh, 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 your sleeping bag, your pad. Like you can't skimp on any of those things. Like your your survival and, and also uh, uh, your mental attitude and well-being relies upon the gear that you carry. And so you really can't have any weaknesses in your gear as far as uh, where do you skimp. I mean, there's definitely some savings here and there. Like these guys talked about uh, the image stabilizing binos, you know. So not spending uh, $3,000 for their pair of binos and using these image stabilizers. Like the mid-range glass is really good nowadays and contends with that high-end glass. And so uh, I, I think being crafty, but just um, not cutting corners. You, you, you have to spend the money for good gear. Ryan's got the best thing where, uh, what is it, Ryan? You hurt once or buy once or hurt once. once? Buy once, cry once. Buy once, cry once. Spot on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with Barney. I mean, it, it seems like every single piece, uh, you just got to work. Obviously, nothing's cheap these days, but I'm going to go with, and this isn't a piece of gear, but it's probably the most important piece in my bag, uh, my pack, and that's the food. Uh, like Mark alluded to a little bit, the nutrition side of what we're doing, uh, to keep you positive, to keep you crushing every single day and not being, you know, bonked out, tired, uh, not wanting to wake up the next day extra early to get to that glassing, glassing spot. Seeing a buck, not wanting to go down to the bottom. A lot of that has to do with nutrition and how you're feeling. Um, I learned that a long time ago. If you're just not feeling good, like you're just wiped out and you're eating a ton of sugar and it's, it's fast in, fast out, no energy, you're just not going to last very long. And you're going to get down and you're not going to want to just push and grind. And I think probably the most important thing to – this whole summit uh, that we've talked about, consistent success a lot, and that's obviously the mental, but to be consistent is you have to put in the days on the mountain. You have to feel good.
to be able to put in those days. 10 day trips aren't easy. Um, but these days I feel like we've definitely narrowed down the foods that work best for us individually. And I know the food that I'm taking in, it, it works for me and I'm not going to get tired on day 10 and I'm day 11. I'm going to feel as fresh as I did on day one. And so a lot of that has to do with, with the supplements we talk about, um, and, and the food that we're eating in there and, uh, eliminating a lot of the, the junk that we used to take in. Well said. I'll add something else too on that. So I learned, you know, I like to think after 30 some years, I know what I'm doing. Well, I don't. So on that bear hunt with Brian and Ryan, we were, we were all sitting around camp and this is, you know, they were giving me little like crack dealers. They were giving me a little taste of this and that, but I really, I'm always prepared for the electrolyte situation guys. So in the mountains, when in this low humidity, you have no idea how many electrolytes are being sucked out of your body on a daily basis. You're not sweating like you normally do in a high humidity. You're not feeling, you know, you're sweating, but not like you would even Missouri. And, or if you're a Midwesterner, you're not used to it. So people are losing more electrolytes than they think. So electrolyte replacement, salt, magnesium, maybe Hillary can add to that. This is a critical part of running your engine. You, if you start drinking a lot of water because you're feeling bad, you're going to put yourself in a hyponatremic situation where you're going to drain the salt out of your body. And it's hyper, hypo, which one is it? It's the salt depletion. Hypo. Hyponatremia. It's a big problem with racing. I know I keep going back to this, but guys, you're, it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to operate at your highest level. So do not underestimate the electrolyte replacement therapy. You can't replace it when it's fit, when you're out, down and out. That's when your body is in shutdown mode already. But the best electrolyte is a, is a maintenance situation more than a, oh, man, I'm feeling down and out now. I'm five days in. i got to load myself up with some electrolytes. So anyway, going to them, I've always carried some. I mean – but they go a whole nother level. So Ryan, they've got this e-charge, which was amazing on this. I felt so good taking this and I'm not trying to sell it. I'm not even using it yet. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> liquid IV that we, I like that liquid ID, right? But Brian, they've also carried that powder Pedialyte. And I started carrying that. That stuff, that's like in case of emergency break glass. That stuff is intense. It tastes like syrup. It's, it's, it's not easy for me to drink by itself, but you're taking your electrolytes and you just feel like you're still you hit one of those babies and it's like tops off it. So anyway, I know there's long winded, but electrolytes, a big part of your pack. It'll help you feel better. Straight water out of the river. Um, you're going to drink a lot of water, but you got to be careful about drinking too much water because it will flush out your system. I don't know, you may want to. Yeah. I think the other thing too is salt. So everybody genetically has a different, um, amount of salt that they lose so you know some guys they work out hard and they have the salt line on their hat if you have that like you have more of a propensity to lose salt and so you need to be really careful that you are replacing that salt especially when you're in these stressful situations and especially when there's a lot of sweating going on because you're gonna you're gonna you need that salt for the proper you know um basically function of your cell and so um, you can't replace it. That's why sometimes Ryan, too, um, he'll take the salt tabs. Like, you know, if you're doing something really extraneous, you take some salt tabs and you kind of keep replacing that salt. I, I think that's um, really important. And I've also noticed that a lot of, especially men that have cardiovascular issues or they've been told they have high blood pressure or they've been told, you know, whatever, they're overweight, they've been told by their doctors to decrease salt intake, that they think salt is bad. 
And of course, it's like you don't want to be eating iodized salt like at McDonald's. Yeah, that salt is bad for you. But like some good like Celtic sea salt or the Redmond sea salt or, you know, the salts we have in here um, or even those salt tabs when you are in the mountains losing a lot of fluids, those kinds of things are going to help replace that salt. And um, you do need that for proper proper cellular function. So it's, it's really important. Straight water. And especially if, you know, if you're, if you're drinking high mountain spring water, I mean, that stuff probably has electrolytes naturally in it. Um, but if you're drinking bottled water today and you're drinking water out of, like, the city tap or wherever, like, that water's treated. And usually, like, we have a reverse osmosis system at our house because we have high arsenic in our water. Um, we have an arsenic filter, and we have tons of minerals, like really high magnesium and other minerals in our water. So we have to use an RO system, which kind of strips all the minerals out. And so if we're just drink, drinking our straight RO water and not adding any minerals or salts or doing that, it's kind of not repleting you as much. And you're just – the other thing is, is um, people will pee more. Or you'll either pee more or you'll be swollen. So you'll hold water. You'll kind of feel puffy. And that's because you're holding water in the interstitial space. You need water to be able to go. It follows a gradient with sodium and potassium going in and out of the cell. And so you need adequate sodium and potassium to pull water down the gradient to go in and out of the cell. And if you're feeling really puffy, you could be drinking a ton of water, but your cell isn't actually getting hydrated. And that's where it's just like blood sugar or anything else. You know, you need insulin to pull sugar into the cell. If you don't have good insulin control, you're just having blood sugar in your blood and it's not getting into the cell and you need it in the cell for ATP. So the same thing with water. You need to pull it into the cell. So sometimes people will say, I drink so much water and I just pee all day long. And I say, well, you probably need more electrolytes and you can drink the same amount of water or less and the cell's going to get more hydrated and you're going to be able to use that water more efficiently than just having water go through you. Or people will say, I get really swollen. I get a lot of swelling when I drink too much water or something like that. And you guys may not have that issue, but older hunters, and Dr. Gadini's here and he was on our podcast. If you haven't listened to him, he talked about the concerns of older hunters, like, um, because he works in kind of end of life care and that stuff, geriatric population and just noticing older hunters as they get older, the demands on them physically. And I know there's a lot of young guys in this class, but you know, those of us who are getting over 50, over 60 years old, it kind of changes um, also, I think, how much you can do. Ryan has a mental game like nobody else, right? Like he's got a mental game that pushes him to probably do a lot of things he shouldn't do. Um, and he he's just trained himself to do that. And I think that's why he really pushes the food aspect of it because he knows like if his food's good he's got enough adequate calories he's got the mental game there's like really nothing mentally that's going to probably pull ryan out unless i message him and say somebody's you know leg got cut off or something bad but other than that <laughs> then he's gonna i mean i've, I've probably sent him some pretty bad i probably sent him some pretty bad messages he still hasn't come out so um well except for our daughter's birthday i'll come out for that 100 percent. but if no, i had my leg cut off he might think about it no i'm just saying so like he's got the mental game but he knows the food's a big piece of it and i had an experience when we went on paley's deer hunt i'm, I'm sure most of you watched that but um, the fourth, the fourth video, which we didn't show on YouTube, it was on locals, was the pack out afterwards. And that day, you know, it's funny to watch those films because 
when you watch it, you actually experienced it, and then you watch it, it's like 20 minutes, and you're like, what? 20 minutes? It was like literally from sun up to sundown, we killed that animal literally like 20 minutes before the sunset. Then we had to clean it out, and we packed it out in the dark, in the snow. And that whole day up to that, we had been stalking deer. So we had a num number of stalks. And the last, that deer that she got was at the end of the day. You know, obviously you guys all saw the conditions of it. And I didn't eat enough food. So I tend to be one of the people, I'm kind of adrenaline dominant, driven. I don't actually, I'll get hungry, but it's usually like I've gone to the point where I like, I needed to eat a long time ago and then I'm starving and then I'm like not feeling well. So I'm not good about that. And I'm not used to these long days of just like walking. I'm used to long days of sitting at a desk, like mentally being stimulated and working out an hour a day, right? So we were snacking and it was always like, oh, there's the deer, get up, you know, and we like run. There was no lunch. We weren't like, we sat down and had some honey stingers, I think at one point, because we were like, okay. And I think I ate honey stingers and some pretzels. Like it was not good. He had packed me these elaborate meals, but I'm also one of these people's like, I can only eat so many nut products. Like I can only eat so many bars and like, you know, eventually I'm just, and this was two days out there. This is how pathetic I am. I packed her all this good stuff and she ended up pulling a honey stinger out of her bag from well, <laughs> Brian Call. I just <laughs> didn't eat enough. And I, it didn't bother me the whole day because you're going, 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 you're excited, you know, and your adrenaline shoots up. Like I haven't been on a hunt like this. We, we did a stock, your adrenaline shoots up. You just ran, you know, Ryan and Paley run at the same pace and me and Brian Call are like behind him huffing and puffing and trying to catch up with them. So by the time you get there, you calm down for a little, and then it's on to the next thing. So that night, literally about 100 yards from the tent in the dark, I started having like a massive blood sugar thing. I had all the, I had meat on my back and my, our packs, we were all carrying some stuff out back. And I started feeling like I was massively sweating all of a sudden. And that's the other thing, like if your blood sugar drops and you become hypoglycemic, you also will have symptoms where you will start losing all like electrolytes, you'll start losing salt, you'll start sweating, you'll start having heart palpitations and uh, your respiratory rate might increase or, or depress and you can't, you might start getting dizzy. Like there's a lot of these compensations if you don't have enough calories in you. And I was start sweating out of nowhere and it was cold out, it was November and I'm like, what's going on? And then. Sly was in front of me. I could see his headlamp, and then I was like, Sly was kind of doing this thing. Like, he was moving like this, and then I thought, oh, geez, I'm not going to make it back to the tent. I'm going to pass out here in the sagebrush. Nobody's going to find me. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Like, we're just 100 yards. And I got back, and I barely made it, and Gritty, of course, got it on camera, and that's when I had the pack <laughs> I was like, I need food. I need food. I need food. And, and he handed me a pack of and I was like, <laughs> ugh. But it did kind of bring me back, and then we had a little dinner. But the next morning, my orarine said that I burned about 3,500 calories, and I figured out that I probably only ate about 13, 12 to 1,400 calories. And so that's when I learned, like, what you guys are doing, even if it's just hiking long distances on flat ground with heavy weight on your back and you have the weather extremes, that really, really takes it out of you. And so... I learned that that's kind of where Ryan's built his mental game is he has that really dialed in. He takes a lot of effort in eating at appropriate times, eating enough, paying attention to that. So Staying away from honey stingers for the most part. <laughs>
Yeah, you it, are not perfect. It's all so the time. important. It's a, it's an endurance activity that we're doing here, and it, it's it's gonna test you. And and I've seen multiple multiple of my good buddies. Uh, I've had a couple of them that have got exhaustion sickness, and whether it's from lack of electrolytes, uh, lack of food, or just pushing your pace in the mountains, like this altitude uh, puts an extra exertion on your body. So when you're hunting these high country muleys, 10, 11, 12,000 feet, it puts this extra exertion on you, and so you also have to you have to keep tabs on your body and monitor your pace and make sure you're not overdoing it and then taking care of yourself like uh, up at those high altitudes you, you don't have this deep hunger you have to make yourself eat but you got to take care of yourself the salt pills are huge i think i bonked on an ultra run one time taking in water and and i think i ran low on electrolytes where i really ran through a low period where threw up a couple times i had to walk for a while and i ended up finishing the race i ended up seeing through but uh, man you can bonk and then um uh, it can ruin your whole, whole hunt so you have to really take care of your body uh water intake electrolytes like all that stuff is so important yeah, I've seen it on, um, we used to do those death hikes where you're doing 30 plus miles a day, high elevation with some weight. And I've seen guys that didn't put any electrolyte in their water completely bonk. They start feeling nauseous. Like then they really don't want to eat anything. Uh, they have zero in the tank. They'll literally sit down. Um, we can throw a handful of salt tablets in them and it doesn't take that long and they bounce back. Um, get them some good electrolytes and they bounce back. But that's the reason they were in that position is they just didn't keep up on it and they were strictly drinking water. So pretty important. Those salt caps are kind of a game changer if you've just kind of neglected, you know, during these big strenuous activities. If you guys are, if you guys are looking for a product for that, I've experimented with that for years and years in Ironman. Hammer Gel, Hammer Nutrition, based out of Kalispell, Montana. They sell some amazing products, and but they have these, these they're in, called Enduralites, but they're a potassium, magnesium, calcium formula, um, and they're just amazing. I mean, I don't know a triathlete that's any, of any serious category that is not using those. So um, I'm not running those right now in my pack, but I'm getting ready to start back again. Like Hillary said, I'm not spring chicken anymore. I can't just go out there and muscle through it as much as I used to. And so I'm going to start back on the, that regimen like I used to do um, before, and mainly because this bear hunt, this electrolytes, it really opened my eyes that I was not, I'm not doing as much as I need to be doing, uh, and I know better. And uh, so anyway, that's a good product. I'm not trying to sell you on any product or the other, but it's a very, very good product. Mark sells the products that he really likes. He yeah. gets paid by no, none it's of these legit. companies, but <laughs> he tells you all the best information. The I, stuff paid that for he my, I paid full price for my six-hour binoculars. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, so um, 
Dan, uh, so the question was about acclimatizing uh, to high altitude and asking about pills to, uh, to try to help that. So uh, Dan Picard did the hunt in Tajikistan that was over 16,000 feet in elevation where they hunted a Marco Polo ram, and he bonked big time. So they gave him Viagra. Oh, wow. Yep. It's, uh, the only treatment Yeah, get lower yeah. elevation. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah, because yeah. the reason you're doing that is because you don't have enough boxcars to carry. Like, there's not enough oxygen, right? And so you have to come down in elevation so you can acclimate to build more, get more red blood cells to carry, you know, more oxygen so you can handle it. And it's like it's like why people go to Everest and they can't just climb to Everest. They have to acclimate to that. There are some formulas I've seen out there over the years. You know, I think Wilderness Athlete might have one. It's like a high altitude formula. And there's, I think, some herbs and nutrients in there that are specific to oxygen, improved oxygen saturation of the cell. But you have to start taking that, like, quite a bit before you go on your trip. I've had people like, oh, yeah, I just bought some. I'm going to take it. And I'm like, you have to actually start because what it does is it helps you to build red blood cells and stuff. So you have to start taking that beforehand. You can't just do it. You're, you're not going to have enough. You know, red blood cells don't just miraculously start, like, being made without – it takes a little bit of time. So um, if you were going to go up to altitude, and there is some research that shows that people that are born at altitude, uh, they tend to have less problem at altitude, even if they live at sea level in other parts of their life. So there's, there likely might be, um, I was born in Colorado, and I don't, I've only maybe had a few incidents with altitude where I was just tired and I need to sleep, but I feel better at altitude. So I actually do quite well at higher elevations. But um, I think that there is some genetic adaptation. Obviously, if you've been to Peru and some of these other, you know, Tibet, people live at, like, super high elevations and they adapt and, and they're, they're genetically made, like, that they have that adaptation. But um, some people can never really do altitude that well. They always, always struggle and, and they may. And we, we had a good friend this year um, who got pulmonary edema, I believe. He was in Colorado hunting. And it was just a freak thing, super in shape, like really fit. Um, a bigger guy, maybe there was something to do with his mass and the amount of r oxygen that he needs for his body size. And he wasn't even that high. I think he was only eight to yeah. 9,000. And if you think about people that live at altitude, they tend to be tiny little people, right? You think of Sherpas and you think of people that live in Peru and the natives. These are small people. They don't have huge body. You know, they're not Vikings. Like, you know, they're – and so there's a lot less body mass. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, – Built perfect for it. Yeah. He, he is like – I think when he gets to altitude, it kicks in. He's like, let's do higher. And you're like, can't keep up with him. He, he like, kicks him in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I've never understood the altitude thing because I've never had it, and I was born in basically yeah, sea it's, level. It's not straight across, and I've I've been up to like thirteen thousand feet with no acclimation, and I've just never had any headache or you know anything weird there. So I don't know exactly why, but 
I I also think again, even if you did, you probably <laughs> thought through it a little bit. Like you might have just thought you were tired and you went to sleep and you woke up fine. Some people get the full sick. The nausea, the headache, the migraine, well, the disorientation. I know, I know the guy that we were talking about, he uh, he divulged later like he had just crushed an intense workout. And he didn't get much sleep. And then he got up there into the elevation. And I think they were kind of alluding to maybe that had something to do with. But he got it pretty bad, like he was in bad shape. The altitude sickness I've seen has been when guys push past their physical abilities or push past their pace. They go too fast up at too high elevation and it brings on that elevation sickness or exhaustion sickness where they can't keep down the water, can't keep down the food. That's what I've seen. I think it's pace up in those and the climatizing, but also like Hillary's saying, it's just genetic. Some of us are just um, uh, better suited for it for sure. Yeah. Go slower. Yep. That's what I've heard. Yep. Yep. And there's rare conditions, right? Like sickle cell anemia and stuff. I mean, you can't, you'll, you'll die if you go to altitude too fast or even some of these people can't, you know, their, their red blood cells are shaped differently. And so it can be very deadly and dangerous, but that's pretty rare and in certain races and populations. But um, yeah, I think what he said, just go slower. Don't push yourself. Don't try to be Superman acclimate if you got 25 days hey you got 25 <laughs> days to acclimate and slowly go up and and and, and go up there but um yeah. your, your body does feel better after a couple days up there yeah. three days it starts firing off all cylinders like i can really feel it when i'm acclimatized so like on my drive over to colorado i try to sleep at 11,000 foot at a high mountain pass the first night i'm up there i may not sleep as good but i'm, I'm helping my body get used to this altitude and, and also uh like pace when you're going in there and and until your body can get used to it because after a couple two three days i really start firing off all cylinders and feeling normal up in there so my hunting partner had a, a pe as well and what happened in this case was pretty good shape you got to be careful when you're in that kind of elevation is sitting still for long periods of time too oh you know like and what happened with us we got in a rainstorm all day cold nasty colorado eleven thousand feet pouring rain he sat on a log all day we both did sitting there talking waiting for this pass and just sitting there stationary caused it they think that's what caused it hmm. and it got in his lungs and he, he almost didn't make it down hmm. and um so be careful about setting up especially when you're glassing get up and move around a little so you know you want your blood moving you know and uh so we i learned that on that hunt we got what he ended up in the eagle hospital in eagle and they've seen it before so they recognized it so one of the first signs for a lot of the lung is backache you're gonna, he was having an incredible backache. Like he thought he did something to his back, like, but, it was just, but it was in his lungs that was causing him to have the backache. So try to stay mobile. Try not to become too sedentary uh, and be careful about that kind of stuff. All right. You guys are good at questions. Let's see. Um, what is your top three dream hunts? Did someone in here write that? Oh, another. Oh he, he, he stacked the bowl. I should know. They're folded the same. So there we go. Top three dream hunts, y'all. Yeah, go ahead. I've been answering first. What's your three dream hunts, Ryan? Mm. He's already done them. Uh, I've got two of them coming up in August. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the go-to answer would be like a sheep or a goat or a moose or something like that really hard. But honestly, every mule deer hunt, um, the mule deer hunt's coming up. 
those are my dream hunts every year. I get a, I get a couple few of them. Uh, this year I happen to have an early August muley hunt. That's next level for me. I just love chasing mule deer. So that's one of them. Uh, I've also kind of have, you know, another dream hunt and an elk hunt this year. I can't really say one is better than the other. Um, I would love to get a goat someday. I've never got one, but I can't say it's going to trump just a good old fashioned high country alpine mule deer hunt ever. I don't know if there'll ever be anything better than that. Such me. a good answer. Mark, you want to answer yours? Yeah, I want to do, <laughs> I got a couple. Uh, I want to kill grizzly with a bow uh, in Alaska. That's kind of my, and I said I was going to do it. I told my wife I was going to do it when I was 40. And she says, good, you know, no problem. Get to 40, they costed whatever they cost, you know. And then I cut, didn't do it. Then, then all of a sudden, five years later, it's like almost double. And then I'm like, well, now it's too expensive. And now I'm 55 and still haven't done it. So it's just, um, that's one of my goals. But there, it's just hard to do. It's a, it's a very high, high dollar ticket item. Uh, so I kind of want to do that. But I also want to get, finally, one day get an Arizona elk tag. Um, I do like hunting those crazy desert. I love New Mexico. It's one of my favorite places to hunt. It's, it's reminded me. I drew New Mexico last year on a freaking, after 20 years of drawing. And uh, it's a different style, but I do like it. It's kind of fun. It's a, break, it's a nice break from the normal type of hunting. So Arizona elk, big unit nine. <laughs> that won't happen in my lifetime probably, but uh, – and uh, grizzly with a bow. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm the same as these guys. I. I'm so fortunate. I get to travel and and hunt all these different species in these different habitats, and I absolutely love it. Like everyone challenges a different skill set, and so I'm fortunate where I've got to travel a bunch. But you know what? The funnest hunts are right here in the West. The funnest hunts are the high country mule deer hunts for me. Just like Ryan, I got one coming up in early September that I'm dreaming of. That is a dream hunt for me to go do. There, there's a chance of big ones there. Uh, it's huge remote country. It's up above tree line, 12, 13,000 feet, up where the sheep and goats are up there. Uh, this spot that I'm in, I have to hike through a unit to get to it, top two, 13,000-foot peaks, never seen another hunter in there. That, to me, is as good as it gets for bow hunting. It's absolutely as good as it gets. So as much as I, you know, I thought I wanted to be a sheep hunter when I was young, and, and then I found out how tough tags were to get, and I apply all over the West, and I'd love to have that opportunity someday in my life, but... I like, I'm a mule deer guy. I love hunting mule deer. I love hunting elk during the rut. It's some of the most thrilling hunting I can do. So as much as I travel and get to experience these things and enjoy it, I really think the dream hunts are right here in the West. I think they're mule deer. I think they're elk. I think they're antelope. My bear this year, like bear hunting with a bow and arrow is so thrilling. Like it's entry level dangerous game and I get to do it for a $30 resident Montana tag. Like it's unbelievable. So, so for me, I'm hooked on the hunts that we have here and so in love with them that, you know, my three dream hunts, um, man, they're coming up this fall. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, maybe I'll chime in. I don't hunt, and I don't have a dream hunt, but I've watched my husband hunt for 26 years or so. You know, we lived in Washington for a long time, um, and his, you know, there's some good mule deer hunting there. I mean, all most of the big mule deer that we have in our house, in our garage, are all Washington muleys, and those are all things that Ryan got in Washington, you know? And so, I mean, Montana is a cool place to be but there's also I think places where people don't think there's pla cool things to get like I just Washington was if you want to work hard and you got to get away from people 
but there's some pretty epic hunts up there as well. I think that, you know, he would have been happy hunting there for the rest of his life and his mule deer country there. So, yeah. Huh? Where's he hunting? Well, I have been <laughs> sworn to secrecy. Or <laughs> I'm surprised you even mentioned the state. <laughs> well, we lived in Washington for so many years. Um, all my favorite mule deer that we have are like Washington muleys. They're just really unique. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. Is this yours too? Man. They're good questions. He can keep them coming. If you don't have five days to hunt, in your opinion, is it generally better to pack on miles and cover more country or find one or two promising places and just sit patiently for something to move? in something to move in gosh i I don't do good sitting and waiting for something (laughs) i just don't i cover country i go find where they're at um waiting for something to show up it seems like it never happens even if i know the timing's right so for me it's covering country it's covering country and finding where those animals like it's a moving target all for these deer and these elk you know they prefer this type of country but you you're never you you scout all these locations you're never sure if there's animals there or not until you go hike in and you go glass it and go see and so uh, I just use my instincts and I cover country. I try to glass drainages at the right times to, to be able to tell if there is critters in there that I'm after or not. Usually it's like giving it a good morning session or a good evening session. If I start to see a few bucks or I see some elk, well then I'll give it another evening or I'll stay in there and see how it is. But if I'm not seeing what I'm looking for, I don't believe in a ghost timber buck that lives in just the timber. Like they have to feed in this meadow grass. They have to show themselves. So I cover country and and, and search for them until I can find them. That's that's my routine. Yeah, you guys are similar. I know you guys Absolutely, move country. Yeah. yeah. So for me, you know, <laughs> you know what I think about the odds multiply. So if I only have if I have finite number of days, let's say you had four long four day weekend. Well, we talked about all the elk finding features, man. I'm looking for areas that I can really stack those things up because it's one and done. You can't have you don't have an opportunity for four or five backup options. So are you going to just go hunt a north slope because it's a north slope? No. Is it is that an odds multiplier for me? Yes, but it, I want to see multiples. You know how we looked at during the – we were looking at areas and we were breaking down how many positive elk finding features did we find in each key area. So I'm just spending more time. Maybe, you know, I'm going to spend more time e-scouting for five days than I ever would if I was going for 25. I mean, in 25 days, you can find some elk if you put some time in – and uh, with or without e-scouting, you know, but limited time, more work before you go. Yeah, Pays yeah. off. I was a weekend warrior for years. It was like I had two, three days max. And, uh, man, you got to go hard in those two, three days. Turn up some animals and try to turn up a stock or a play or an opportunity. Yeah. No, I'm, I, <clears throat> I completely agree with what Brian said. It's uh, especially on the limited number of days. Like you got to push yourself and grind and go find them. Um, you know, I don't know how many times I've been hunting with somebody and we're we're in this great looking area and we're like, man, you know, I'll bet if we sat here for two days or three days or the week, we'd probably both kill giants. And what do we do? We take off and we go somewhere else. We <laughs> never sit there that long. We just can't do it. So, um, no, definitely our, our MO is we just keep cruising, looking for new places, looking for animals, not, not waiting for them to come to us. You know, the key Ryan said too, guys, is like, I find so many hunters. They get up to a vantage spot, 
30 minutes after daylight, 45. They don't want to hike in the dark in Grizz Country. They don't want to do this. They want to do that. They're leaving the glassing spots before dark, and they're getting to them after light. That's a bad formula. I mean, those elk sometimes could be just be moving into the timber right at the last moment. All you need to know is that they're there, and you can start making a plan to kill them. If you don't know they're there, you're just moving on. You're passing up elk. So learn how to navigate in the dark. Learn how to plan routes to get to those spots. Estimate your travel time over ground. Make the use of your freaking four days. Be there in the dark if it's a glassing opportunity or whatever it is. If it's calling, if it's deep timber, get up extra early. Go in there two hours before daylight. Those bulls, be, man, they're some of the biggest bulls I've ever seen. Hardly made a peep after daylight. But they're screaming bloody murder all, during the middle of the night. So if you're not there to hear them, you don't know they're there. So I know it's not comfortable. I know it's kind of scary. and um, But that's what's going to... If you, it's, it's, it's a very serious odds multiplier. Yeah, Joel Turner dro- drove all night to get here to instruct you guys. <laughs> all night to drive here to instruct you. So when you have three days, I'd get off work Friday, and I'd drive half the night to get to my hunting area. And you have to do it safely. Like you, uh, Driving drowsy can be one of the most dangerous things. Pull off, get a nap. But you know, drive during the dark. Cover that distance. Sunday, you stay till that last hunt, that last evening hunt to try to make it happen. And then you drive home, even if you're tired. You're trying to add hunts and trying to make the most of that time you have. So, yeah, you got to push. Good. This is not yours. It's on yellow paper. So. <laughs> He threw you out. He tricked you. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, he's the only one. Uh, what's the one hunting tip you would give your 20-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. Mine's easy, and that's find some patience because I used to just run, look at a spot, go to the next spot, run, look at it. Um, patience is definitely – you've heard Brian say it. It's his famous quote, patience kills the buck. Um and it couldn't be more true, whether it's bear hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting, um, finding something and having the patience to either wait it out for a good situation. Um, it's been a game changer for me. That sounds cliche, but it couldn't be more true. Um, that's what I think of when I think of my 20-year-old self. I was erratic all over the mountain, just putting miles on, and that's it. Uh, wasn't, I had no strategy. It was just look at as much stuff as I could. And I just had zero patience back then. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I, I'd say fall in love with the process, not the results. Like fall in love with Western hunting and everything, every facet of it, uh, the, the training of it, the nutrition, the hunt itself. Like really enjoy it. Um, you know, you, you, you have your youth at this point. You're, you're able to go hard. But if you fall in love with it and you're not so focused on results, like um, comparison is the thief of all happiness. And with the social media nowadays, it's easy to get on there and look at these giant bucks or these giant bulls. But remember, this is a lifetime of work that us guys have put into this. Um, so, so we're all in different places our, of our journey, but just enjoy it. If you enjoy the process, enjoy the, the stalking, enjoy working on your shooting, uh, uh, enjoy physically being physically fit and working at it, uh, you're going to be good at it. So uh, enjoy it, and you're lucky. You found what you love to do. You found your passion in life. Uh, now, now it's just time to apply yourself at it. For me, it was, I think it, it's a little bit what Ryan said was patience, but for me it was more planning. I just would just roll out there and just do it. And that's really how I ended up where I'm at with this East guy. It just, I, I basically taught myself that you gotta, your plan's got to be more solid. You're putting in the miles. You're doing some of the physical stuff. You're getting it done. But you're going in places that just don't have the features that they want. 
You know, I can't stress enough, elk aren't everywhere in the West. They just are not. 10%, they estimate, of the elk country, you know, suitable elk habitat, less than 10% actually has elk. So figuring that out, and for me, it was it was figuring that out and putting myself in better opportunity situations. Uh, and the other thing is testing in my gear. I used to roll with some ridiculous stuff. And poor rain suits. Coming out because I'm cold and wet and because I didn't take care of it. Um, didn't get the right thing, whatever. We were talking about gear. Guys, your boots, man. I mean, I've seen more hunts ruined because of boots. Feet get bad, it's over. If your feet get bad, it's finished. There's nobody. I, I just don't meet people that are that tough that can go with destroyed hamburger feet. It's just one of those things. I don't know what these guys think, but it's not just the boots. It's the socks. People underestimate what the socks will do for your feet, not just the boot fit but the sock or sock liners if you need sock liners. Um, and if you do have a foot problem, take care of it right the moment it starts to happen. Not like, oh, when I get to camp, I'll, I'll take care of it. It might be too late at that point. Anyway. Man, it, uh, all those answers fit our personalities perfectly, <laughs> too. That was great. Yeah. And also with the feet, I beat my feet up all summer long, so I build those calluses in those spots, so that's what helps my feet, too. But, yeah, great answers, guys. So we're getting short on time. Do any of you have questions? That didn't get answered. There's a bucket here, but. Do you want me to ask you? Yeah, so balancing um, patience and, and balancing covering country to find animals, <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, follow up to that question. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I can, I'll answer it for him. Okay. I was shocked on this hunt with him, how patient he is. He was the one that was like, let's just stay put. I know there's bears there. And, and I was kind of like, what's this badass ridge runner? I mean, we're just sitting around here. And uh, he way more patient than I thought. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to say that it surprised me that that he was mo so methodical. That's the first time we've done together. So methodical and breaking it down, making sure we're getting a solid morning in, making sure we're getting a solid evening in, to make sure we give these bears an opportunity to show themselves. Uh, and freak, it freaking paid off, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's it. I think if you know, like, with your experiences, you're gonna know if you're in the right area to have patience. Um, like when I talk about my 20 year old self. I didn't know what I was looking for. I was looking for anything I could glass with a crappy pair of binos. <laughs> and I was just cruising country. I'd give it like five minutes. I'd, I'd be in this amazing place. I'd glass it for five, ten minutes, and that would be like, well, there's another amazing place over there. I'm going to go for that. And then I'm spending all this time in between these places and taking time away from where my eyeballs should be. So I think w through experience, you kind of realize where you need to put yourself, plant yourself through planning like Mark talks about all the time and having patience to let it come to you. You know, let the animals show themselves. Now, if you're just out there willy-nilly looking at anything and everything and spending your morning and evening sits and next morning sits in places where maybe it's not the best place, uh, maybe it's not, doesn't have all the features that you really are looking for, it's not the place you want to have patience at all. But um, I think just through experiences, you kind of get a feel for if you're hunting mule deer, if you're hunting bear, if you're hunting elk, 
where you should be, where you should be spending your time. And then just having the patience to actually like, like I'll take spring bear, for example, there's places where we've got everything that we're looking for. We've got water, we've got ribbons of rocks in the, in the high country. We've got, we've got the grass, you know, we've got the feed there. Uh, we've got the slopes, we've got the elevation, all perfect in bear country with no other people there. We could glass up until two, three o'clock and not see a thing, but we know we're going to. We know if we if we're diligent, we spend the time there, we're gonna see those bears. There's gonna be bears there, and um, you know, over time, you just get a good feel for what you should be looking at. And we'll literally spend 10, 12 hours a day glassing, just waiting for those bears to come out. And usually, we're right, and we end up finding them. Gosh, what a good answer. It's the instincts, honing those instincts of knowing what that right terrain looks like. It's like a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And those that's the type of country you got to sit in and you got to wait and be really patient. So mule deer country, I'll be traveling country like crazy. But once I get in one of those spots and I start seeing some bucks, like I know that's the spot where I need to spend my time. I need to grab different vantage points in there and really try to find a good one because I know he lives in there, you know, like my experience has honed my instincts to to a point to where I just feel it. I just feel like it's Bucky in there. You know, I feel like I'm going to see elk. So I think a lot of it comes down to those instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And also I'll just throw in there real quick, um, not to that question as much, but if you're hunting with a buddy, having the right partner, that doesn't, isn't pressuring you, even just through mannerisms. Like I'm just not, they don't want to sit there anymore. Like I hunt with guys now that will literally spend as much time as it takes. You know, maybe it's not even their tag, 10, 12 hours a day. I hunt with Mr. Call a lot. That guy will never quit. He's got patience and you know, he trusts me. If we're in a spot, he trusts that we're going to probably see animals there. And he's not giving me these subtle clues like, he wants to jump over to this mountain or he, he wants to race over here or do something different or climb off the mountain. Um, you know, it's good to have a, a solid hunting partner that works well with you and has the same amount of patience that you do. Cause it's real easy to be sitting there thinking, ah, I wonder what Barney probably thinks we're stupid for sitting here. Like he probably wants to go way over here and do this other thing. Um, it's <clears> nice <throat> to trust in your, in your hunting partner that they're not doing that and they're going to stick it out with you. I think as a new hunter, particularly with less experience, you got to be really careful of the grass is greener on the other side scenario. Like Ryan alluded to that, but didn't spend a lot of time on that. But like when he was younger, he just wanted to get, oh, that looks, that might be better. It might, he's not sure, it just might be. And you're always chasing the might be's. And, but when you find something that's just got the feature set that you're looking for, or it just feels good, invest in it. That's not what we're talking about. When we talked about staying and running and gunning, and not, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about investing in a spot that has the op, that looks like it presents the opportunity, and not investing in the spots that don't. But not continually being on the search for the holy grail. Um, you know, there's spots that you just know you feel like they're going to be there, and you, and you just know it, or you have an idea. Trust yourself a little, even if you're a beginner. You're you're probably looking at it right. And just because you're going to go over the next ridge doesn't mean it's not going to be better. And another thing I've noticed with a lot of hunters is, guys, let's say you leave a basin and you move over to another basin. Hunters have this mental block of going back. They feel like they're not able to, I don't know, get that out of your mind. You can go back. You go over, you think it might be greener. It's not, go back. Don't just write it off. 
So I know they got to feel like they can't ever go. Which it's a step backwards, or it's I've already been there, or whatever. Maybe you didn't weren't there at the right time or enough time. Can't tell you. I've ran into pump tons of elk sometimes. I've gone back because I knew it was right, but I kind of felt like I left it early, and went back and did turn up some, you know. So anyway, that's just my observations on that. Any. Yeah, so scouting, is it something that you guys have, have um, grown to love? She doesn't like it right off the bat now or spending time scouting. She likes to spend her time hunting. Um, so, so how have you developed your scouting? Who doesn't? I mean, I, you know, I don't like sitting in front of my computer for the amount of time that I'm probably not going to divulge. Um, you love I, it. You I, get I so mean, I do get geeked out on it, but let's be honest. I'd rather be chasing <laughs> out. Yeah. I know it's just like everything else. It's like if you're going to do a race, if you're going to do an ultra, Ryan loves the race. He loves the companions. He loves getting in the mix. But he knows he can't show up there not ready to go. Or it's going to ruin the opportunity. So I'm look, keep your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. When you're e-scouting, you're just keeping your eye on the prize. I, guys, when it comes to hunting, I know this sounds so goofy, but I just did the 75 hard. Okay? Does it, I don't know if you know what it is. It's 75 days in a row of five things. Okay? That's all you really need to know. But the main thing about it was there's no days off. There's no exceptions. There's no excuses. There's no, you can have M&Ms one day and not, I mean, there's none of it. And I felt like I'm kind of semi-retired and I felt like I've been getting a little soft. Now, some people think I'm softer than I am. We, we won't call names, <laughs> but Llamas. Um, Llamas make you, soft. you get what I'm saying? So I needed to test myself. So I got through that program, and it just kind of reset me. I'm like, I got this new energy to kind of be able to go those many days in a row, and I'm getting ready to start it again right after this. So I'm going to try to get one more in before the thing. But I think what I'm trying to say here is don't think of it so much as just you got to put in this labor. It needs to be working toward the prize, the, the thing, your goal, and how it's going to open the doors for you. It's going to – increase your odds like it's 10 percent, folks or or less and uh i think looking at the prize more than the task is um maybe a better way of maybe trying to look at it i know it can be i know it can be a little tedious and overwhelming and you feel like you got to learn a lot and you don't have you know we i know we talked about a lot of things you don't have to do it all it doesn't have to do be all done at once it can be a progress it can be a progression it can be a year-to-year thing but again you're always keeping your eye on the prize yeah, I, I don't think I could say it better. I just add to it. It's like uh, the, the, the tougher the challenge, the greater the reward, and it takes total commitment, uh, uh, 365 commitment. So just like Mark's saying, I've had the payoff of arrowing great bulls and great bucks. That payoff is, is the highest highs for me. Uh, so I'm willing to put all the work in throughout the year. And scouting, uh, whether it's e-scouting like Mark's talking about, getting yourself prepared for the unit, learning it, or if it's boots on the ground, learning access points and hiking up there and trying to find bucks, it pays so much dividends like during season. So it's just like it ups my odds for being able to, 
to fulfill my ultimate goal for the season of arrowing a mature buck. So so the work to me comes comes easier because you know I'm, I know I'm working towards my goal and it's a bit of like paying my dues towards my goal um, so so just like Mark said it's it's eye on the prize I want to arrow that quality buck and for me it's total commitment year round and so scouting is a big portion of that and, and I've grown to like it as um, I, I've grown to really enjoy scouting because it feels like hunting I just don't have my bow so covering country, testing my gear, challenging myself, like like all those components of a hunt are in there jam-packed into a weekend. And so when I come back, I feel like I went hard and I, I'm really testing out all my gear. And so uh, for, for me, it's it's been a labor of love that I've really grown to love over time. You know, like I shot with you yesterday and, uh, well, we were behind you and you were leaving arrows for us to pull out. She's like, yeah, I got a 12 ring. I forgot it. Would you guys grab that and, and bring that up to <laughs> So, um, yeah, she was playing some mind games with us. I, when I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I don't know you very well at all. You're a person that works their strengths. You, I can already tell. You like to focus on your strengths. To become next level elk hunter, and this is I had to come to grips with this too, you have to focus on your weaknesses and let your strengths just ride. You're a great shot. You really shot great. That doesn't mean you don't want to keep shooting, but it sounds like maybe e-scouting is something you're going to have to turn up a weakness. So work the weaknesses. Let the strengths go. Like when I did triathlon, I was an incredible cyclist. I'm a big, strong dude, but the running. I always told people in the race, I've seen everybody three times. They passed me in the swim. I'd blow by them on the bike, and then when it counted, they'd run right by me. And I always tell everybody, I, I was best friends with like 10 dudes by the end of the race. And because I just could not work my weaknesses. And when I figured out, I love riding the bike. So 100-mile bikes, oh, yeah, I love that. 10-mile run, oh, I'm going to skip that today. And once I figured it out, then I started moving up the ladder. Let the, weak, let the strengths go down, rise, lift your weaknesses up. Great answer. Yeah, it's really well said. Yeah. All right, so if any of you have questions that we didn't answer, feel free to come up and ask any of us any other time. And I think we're going to take a break. There's some snacks in the back. And you'll switch. You'll get to go outside and get some air. Oh, thanks, guys. Control. That was really fun. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that that new style of podcast. Let me know what you think on social media. You can follow us on Eastman's Elevated or also Brian underscore Barney, and uh, give me some feedback. We've got another one of these coming up, a question and answer, a totally new episode with new questions, and so um, should go good. Uh, I really enjoyed doing those Western hunting summits. Uh, that Ryan and Hillary Lampers, man, they worked really hard to put this on, and it's like an adult summer camp. Uh, a bunch of miles, I think I got in, close to 50 miles on both summits with my morning runs, and then um, we did a bunch of... of of rocks, uh, early morning hikes, and then also did um, the 3D course and did that with weighted packs and did it for a score, and they had a great 3D course set up. So um, I had a bunch of fun and uh, really appreciate those guys for inviting me on. Also appreciate Mark Livesay, guys, just a wealth of knowledge. And, and just this, this summit, um, the speakers that they have, uh, it's great for me in the podcast as well. I got a great one recorded with Travis Nowatney, another question and answer coming up, uh, able to meet Robbie Denning and talk with him and sit in on his seminar. It was just absolutely amazing. 
so uh, going to get him on the podcast. I just got to pencil out a couple hours as he's a mule deer fanatic. Uh, so this will make for a great podcast that I'll release to you guys before season. Uh, also hooked up uh, uh, with Cody, just a great elk caller from Wyoming. Going to get him on the podcast. Uh, so so it's just great for networking as well. Um, uh, Dan Staten was there from Elk Shape. Uh, love to start doing some, uh, some of his courses as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, just been this, uh, amazing event and I'm really happy they put it on and proud to be part of it. So, um, super cool. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Cutter Stabilizers. Again, uh, Earl Stroll is the owner of this company. Uh, he's a blue collar, hardworking bow hunter that's worked really hard on these products to give you guys the very best products that, that we can all believe in. Worked hard on his connections. They're carbon fiber, so they're lightweight, gets the weight out in front of the bow or behind it, wherever you stick your weight. It's adjustable by one ounce, so uh, you can really adjust the hold and the reaction of the bow. Uh, I really like them. Been using them the past few years, so if you're in the market for some new stabes, uh, make sure to check out Cutter, and um, also make sure to check out Savage Arms. Uh, just great rifles. That 110 Ultralight is amazing, under six pounds, just a super mountain rifle, and they're just so accurate out of the box. That's what I was impressed with. Uh, so if you're in the market for a new rifle for this hunting season or next, uh, make sure to check out Savage Arms. Uh, also, make sure to check out Eastman's, that quietest uh, bike giveaway for Tag Hub members. Uh, we've got Elevated321 as our code for uh, both magazines and an Outdoor Edge knife, $50 and um or one of the magazines and an outdoor edge knife for thirty dollars so with that um i'm gonna get my um, bags finished packing here get uh, my covid test done gosh i've got to drive to idaho today to get that done uh it's just been a uh, uh the you know it's just part of it right now and traveling and i'll just do whatever i have to do but yeah it has to be 72 hours before the flight, and then it has to be an approved center. So um, the urgent care in Bozeman doesn't uh, qualify as a um, center in Montana. You have to go to a Walgreens. It's just ridiculous. So uh, trying to get that all done today. But uh, I'll get it done, get on a plane one way or another. So it'll all work out. I hate leaving things to the last minute too, but then you know it's got to be 72 hours before your flight. But anyways, small problems. I'll be hunting Axis deer before I know it. Super pumped. It's just such a great opportunity. Um, my buddies out there are just such good people, and I'm really excited to go hang out with them and um, go fling some arrows and, and uh, hopefully chase my big 30-inch Axis buck. But uh, what, whatever happens, it's just going to be uh, an unreal experience being able to hunt that you know, the, the habitat of Hawaii and that, that thicker country and being able to still hunt and a bunch of deer, they're rutting really hard right now. Uh, I just got a picture. Robin just killed a really good buck. Uh, John hit a branch the other day, missed a really big one. So he's still out there. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, absolutely awesome. But boy, they put those branches in the wrong spots, don't they? Uh, it's just how it goes. Sometimes you just don't see it, but, um, super excited to go do this. So, uh, get this podcast out to you guys, uh, get a little work done here, uh, get to Idaho, and then um, hop on a plane. So super excited to um, share the adventure with you guys and hopefully record a podcast or two. I love those guys out there, and they make for great recordings. So uh, hopefully we'll record a, a podcast or two out there and release that to you guys. And Got some good stuff coming up for hunting season. So hopefully make your drives a little bit better and, and uh, get you that information that helps make you successful. So I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate the support. And with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.